1: today called ladies why we need you ladies why we need you now i called this message ladies why we need you not mama's why we need you because in genesis 3 verse 20 the bible says and adam called his wife eve because she was the mother of all the living which is very interesting because it wasn't until genesis chapter 4 that Eve bore Cain and Abel. And so you see in every woman, whether she's born, you know, natural children or not, there is a spirit of motherhood on every single lady in here. And I want to just honor all of the women of this house for the spirit you carry, that you are indeed the mother of all the living and so, ladies, you there is a spirit in you, and again, whether you have, um, you know, had your own natural children or, or adopted children or not, not a mother yet or whatever the case may be, there's a spirit on you to bring life, to give life, and to nurture. To nurture means to create an environment that facilitates growth. That's what it means to nurture. So, ladies, why we need you. And we do, we do need you. We do need you. We know we need you. Sometimes I'm going to be honest, we don't like that we need you. But sometimes you can be downright frustrating. I'm telling you the truth. And actually, uh, there's a philosopher who's actually a Christian theologian named Desiderius Erasmus that is considered one of the greatest Christian thinkers ever and actually um, was the precursor, he really paved the way for Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the father of the Protestant Reformation that nailed the 95 treatises to the Catholic Church, started the Protestant Reformation, Reformation considered one of the heroes of the faith, and uh, church scholars believe that Erasmus was really paved the way for Martin Luther. They say that that, um, uh, Erasmus laid the egg that Martin Luther hatched. So this man, This incredible man, unbelievable thinker, scholar of the Bible, of the scriptures, his entire life dedicated to unraveling the mysteries of God, is attributed the quote, women can't live with them, can't live without them. After he pondered all there was to know about how and why God made women, that's what he came up with. Women can't live with them can't live without them. We know we need you. We know we need you. I'm going to be honest, we don't understand you. And I used to, when I was, you know, newlywed, it was, I used to beat myself up, like, because I couldn't, you know, I'm like, this creature that you gave me, I don't, I don't get it. And I felt like it was something in me. And I'm like, why am I not getting it? I I just, am am I just a total failure as a husband? But then, praise the Lord, I had a revelation. And if you look at the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1, it all makes sense. You see, the creation narrative, all seven days of creation, everything moves from least complex to most complex. So you look at day one, let there be light. That was it. That's all God did on day one, let there be light. Light, dark. Photons, no photons. On, off. Binary. That's it. Doesn't get more simple than that, right? Least complex to most complex. Then on day two, God creates the atmosphere. There's a sky, there's waters, there's a firmament between the waters. So now we have atmosphere. We've got some very, not very complex molecules, but something. We've got some O2, some oxygen, we've got some nitrogen, some carbon dioxide, have some water, some H2O. So things are not just light and dark, but, you know, a little more complicated, not too crazy. Then we have day three. We get land. We get. The plants, so now we have some complex minerals, we have some basic biological life, nothing you know, really intelligent in any way, but we've got plants, we've got land. Day four, we get the, the sun and the, the moon and the stars, and we get, you know now all of a sudden there's astrophysics and, and all that kind of, getting a little more complicated. Day five, God creates the the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Now we actually have some complex biological organisms. We're getting, again, from simple to complex, simple to complex. Then we get to day six. God makes the beasts of the field, the water buffalo, the donkey, and men. God made men on day six. The same day he made horses. Least complex, most complex. He didn't make women on day six. Then he rested. My my job here is done, God says. Then all this time passes. The Bible says that God couldn't find a helper suitable for Adam, so he brings to Adam every single animal, every single animal. God said, what do you want to call this thing? He's like, I don't know, dung beetle. What what do you want to call this? Aardvark? What do you want to call this? Anteater? God's like, okay, sure, whatever. Every single animal God brings before Adam, and Adam gives him a name. And it wasn't until after all of that, all of that time passes, who knows, could have been weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years, then God makes woman. Yeah. So if there is a linear relationship between time and complexity of organism, You have day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, men and water buffalo and horses and donkeys. And then we have all this time, women. So biblically speaking, there is no argument. Women, the last creature that God made is the most complex creature in the universe. It's true. Don't get mad at me, that is the Bible. So ladies, you were meant to be complex. Don't apologize for it. Men, don't be frustrated at your wife for being complex. That's how God made her. She is complex, she is complicated, and we need it. It's good for us. So ladies, we honor your complexity today. We need you ladies. We need every single one of you. And I want to just share three quick things that we need out of you. The first one, point one, we need your voice. We need your voice. Now I've been coming to this church for a long time now. It's been a little over 10 years and there's nothing new under the sun. People that have a problem with our church, it's generally one of three things. We talk about money, outworkings of the Holy Spirit, people speaking in tongues and falling over to get prayed for, things like that. And number three, we have women preachers. That's it, heard it all, and it's one of those three things. Maybe more of them, maybe all of them, but it's one of those three. And so I don't normally give it a ton of energy, but I actually just thought on this Mother's Day, I wanna just dive into that just a little bit and look at where that comes from, this idea that, that women shouldn't preach in church because we need the voice of the women of this house. Now, all of that thinking comes from one single verse in first Timothy chapter two, verse 12. And it says, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, who he had put in charge of the church in Ephesus. And he says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Very strong language, that one, you know, that verse gets some people, rubs some people the wrong way. And what we, people that take that verse and universally apply it are what you would call a biblical literalist that say, we have to take the Bible at exactly face value. We can't, that's ex- whatever it says, no matter how offensive, no matter how countercultural we think it is, we have to take it at face value. That's what a biblical literalist, literalist is. Okay, great, Sure but you better apply that universally across the entire bible. So what about in 1st Timothy 5:23 where Paul again writing to Timothy says, "Hey, stop drinking only water and start drinking a little bit of wine to help you with your stomach ache and your infirmities." I mean, if we take the bible literally, every christian minister better be drinking wine. What if you are a recovered alcoholic? What if you have an allergy to red wine? What if you're a Baptist? Sorry, we gotta take the Bible exactly, right? You see, this starts to fall apart. What about 1 Corinthians eleven five five through six? Paul says, a woman who uncovers her head while praying dishonors herself and we might as well shave her head. Anthony, bro, I'm sorry, Monique. After a tithe message, she prayed. <laughs> right? But you have to understand the cultural context of when this was written, and in the case of First Corinthians to so the church in Corinth, in that cultural moment, a sign, a, uh, a woman with her head uncovered was a sign of sexual availability. So you got all these women in that day and age that are getting up there, just you know. And and Paul said, "Hey, don't be conformed to the pattern of, of this world to be." So they're, they're taking their freedom and abusing it, and just saying, "Oh, you know." I'm not gonna be conformed to the pattern of this world, so we're just gonna take the head coverings off, and, and Paul's like, no, 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 that's like you getting up there and praying in lingerie. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. If that happened here, we wouldn't let you up on stage. A pastor would come and talk to you, okay? So you have to understand the cultural moment in which this was written. So the, you know, the verse says, I don't permit a woman to teach. It doesn't say in church, it just says in general. So if we take that perfectly literally, I mean, 75% of the women, of the teachers in this country are women. So, I mean, can't do that because women aren't allowed to teach, right? If we take the Bible perfectly, literally, exactly, without any cultural context whatsoever, no more women teachers. How are we going to do that? Now, you could argue, well, 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 what he means is, you know, women aren't supposed to teach men. Oh, okay. Well, then at what point is a boy considered a man? I mean, my son, Zeke, he's six and he has female teachers. So surely that's okay because he's not a man. But what about college professors? Does that mean that no college professor can be a woman because she would be teaching men? You see how it just, it all starts to really unravel and fall apart. Actually in Titus 2, Paul writes to Titus and actually tells him that the older women should be instructing the younger. So actually does say women should teach. So if you take it literally, then all of a sudden Paul's contradicting himself and it starts to unravel. What about the great commission? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Well, then that must mean that the great commission is not for the girls, it's only for the fellas, right? Those are the words of Jesus. So it all starts to fall apart, to unravel. You have to understand the cultural context in which that verse was given. And in Ephesus, In first century uh, Greece, there was this Gnostic pagan philosophy that had begun to work its way into the early church. And it just so happened at that cultural moment, at that point in time, in that location, this theology was being championed mostly by women. And so Paul says, we have to deal with this. We have to silence this. It's interesting because Paul says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. That Greek word authority is the only time in the entire New Testament that that Greek word is used. The only time. Now, the word authority appears a lot, but you guys know it's not always a one-to-one ratio of translations. You know, like in Spanish, anybody here named Mike? We got any Mikes? Surely there's one. There we go. Mike, my dude. So you got, in Spanish, we would say, somos tocayos, right? We don't. Us white people, we don't have a name. We don't have a a word for that. We don't, there is no, we just say, hey bro, we have the same first name. That's cool. (laughs) There is no word tokayo in English, right? So there's not always a one-to-one translation for words, and so this word authority that shows up is the only time in the entire New Testament that that word shows up. Every other place where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, or when in Luke Jesus says, all authority I give to you to trample over serpents and swords, that's a different word. That's the Greek word exousia. But the one time in 1 Timothy 2.12 we see this word in the entire New Testament is the Greek word authentin. And that's what is translated authority. And it means to usurp, to dominate, to overthrow violently. So Paul is saying, I will not permit this wicked theology from coming into my early church and disrupting and usurping violently what I have laid. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy chapter two. And then if you look, even, if you look at uh, the book of Titus, where Titus was over a church in, uh, in Crete, Paul actually says, there are false teachers among you. You need to silence all of these wicked men. So Paul was just speaking to the specific issues facing each individual church. In the case of Titus, in the church in Crete, it was men that were rising up, causing all of this rebellion, and he said, shut them up. Okay, so that's what this is about. Ladies, we need your voice. Here at Awaken Church, we honor the voice of not just the Papa, but the Mama as well. And we respect and honor the order with which God has structured the family. God has placed the man in a position of spiritual authority. Pastors Jurgen and Leanne Matesius are the pastors of our church, but Pastor Jurgen has been given the headship and the authority over our church. Pastor Leanne has submitted herself to the mission and vision of Pastor Jurgen. Now that one can be tough. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. Men, to, to submit means to come under a mission. Submission. Men, if your mission sucks, then don't be mad if your wife doesn't want to come under it. If you have a big vision that has room for her to flourish and thrive and step into all that God has for her, then it's easy for her to come under the mission, right? That's what it means. Ladies, we need your voice. And so we champion the voice of the papas and the mamas in this house. Point number two, we need your care. We need your care. There is something special about the care that a woman gives that's not the same as the care that a man gives. And one of the most beautiful things ever is... um, You know, seeing my wife care for our children. And you know, you get married and you know, we didn't have kids before we were married, and so you you kind of I all the indicators pointed towards the fact that she was gonna be a great mom, but I didn't know. You know, it's a little bit of a wild card. I was hoping. Sure enough, we got married, we had children, and watching my wife care for my kids is one of the greatest gifts that has ever been given to me, it's amazing. Now they don't view me as a caregiver at all. So like in our house, and Katie and I laugh about it all the time, the minute our kids get up, they see Katie, mom, I'm hungry, mom, I need breakfast, can I get breakfast with the waffles, with the pancakes, with the eggs, with the cheese on it. When they see me, they don't do that. They're like, morning, dad. And it's an ongoing joke because like, if Katie has a morning meeting and she'll like, she'll leave and I'll stay home with the kids, she comes home at like 1130 She walks in the door and the kids like, Mommy, I'm hungry, I'm gonna waffle some to the breakfast and eggs with the And she's like, You didn't feed them? I'm like, they didn't ask. I didn't know they were hungry, they didn't ask me. When they see Katie, they see nurturing caregiver. I don't know what they see when they see me, but it's not that. There is there is a connection between moms and and kids that is um, it's remarkable. It's amazing. It's just it's astounding, and nothing illustrates this more than the birth experience. I'll call it that. And I have I have attended two births. I did not participate. I don't want to take any. I was just there offering some support. I'm going to attend another one here in a few months. And it is... There's nothing like it, I'll tell you that much. And, you know, there is... Visceral screaming, and it's crazy, and it's carnage, and then all of a sudden, this this creature is there, and it's like it's purple, and head shaped so weird, so weird, and I, you know, I'm a little like, oh, hi there, and then, but then the Katie is just takes this thing in her arms and just looks at me, and like I would do it all over again. And I'm like, how, what? (laughs) This just happened. 15 minutes ago, you were, there was guttural screams reverberating throughout the, anyway. It's crazy, this connection between the moms and their kids. I have a friend, I would never dishonor him by sharing his name, so I'm going to cover my friend Ryan Smith by not, you know. (laughs) But he was uh, with his wife while she was laboring with their first child, you know, and, and she's having just, she's deep in the throes of, of contractions and in and, and, and very severe pain. And, you know, you, you, as a husband, you're kind of like, I just, I want to help. I, you know, I'm a fixer, but I can't do anything here. I, help, what, you, back rub, I, help me. I, I'll help you. Help me help you. And so he's doing the best he can, you know, hand on her shoulder and shoulder rub a little bit. And, and then he tries to be empathetic. And, and so he says, baby, I know what you're going through. And he says, I had appendicitis. It did not, it didn't go well. Literally that contraction stopped and she just was like. There's this, and it's amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's this connection between mother and children. I want to honor actually my mom, who's not here. She's in Dallas, Texas. I want to honor her for the selflessness that exists in moms when it comes to their kids i had a pretty crazy childhood my dad was uh, was an alcoholic and um and had a season where, where it got really bad and some of my earliest memories as a, a five-year-old boy were my dad being drunk and, and trying to take me in the car to t-ball practice and my mom would physically fight with him over me. And, um, and so they ended up getting a divorce. Uh, he, my dad had an affair. They got a divorce and spent three years apart, actually reconciled. My dad repented and, uh, got sober and and came to my mom and they actually reconciled, got remarried, uh, three years later. And then, um, a handful of years into their second marriage got, um, you know, deep in the throes of substance dependency again and ended up overdosing and dying. And so my mom was widowed and all of this happened. Um, My dad died when I was uh, 18 years old and it would have been so easy for my mom to, you know, to say, Hey son, like our, our family has, you're, you're a, you're a man. Our family has just been, Been rocked. Can you stick around and help me take care of of your sister and and take care of me? But she released me to go to college, to move away um, to San Diego to to start um, you know, the life that God had called me to live. And I'm just forever thankful for my mom who put uh, my future and my vision above her own needs. And actually, you know what? Let's FaceTime her right now. I didn't do this during the first service. Let's see if she answers. Is that okay? Okay. Let's see. Better answer, Mama. Mama, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Happy Mother's Day. Do you know what I'm doing? Yes, I am at church. Yes. Well, I'm just preaching to all these people. Just wanted to wish you happy Mother's Day, and just tell you I love you and honor you. You're amazing. Thank you. Yes, you're sweet. Come on. All right, I'm gonna FaceTime you after church. We'll say hi to the kids. I have to. I have to finish a sermon right now. Okay. Love you. Yes. Bye. I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful that ladies, that moms put. Their needs last, and their kids' needs first. It's amazing. And I'm reminded of, in 2 Timothy chapter one, Paul, again, writing to Timothy, he says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. And I think this is such a beautiful passage. You know, Timothy was Paul's number one, trusted armor bearer that he put in charge of the churches that he planted. And Timothy was, was a Greek. He, he wasn't, you know, brought up in the Jewish faith by both parents. Uh, actually, you know, when as a grown man, I want you to think about this. As a grown man, Paul and Timothy meet, Timothy's converted to Christianity. And then Paul says, Hey, you're not Jewish. And so you're, you're not, you're not circumcised. So Timothy, we're gonna, we, we, gotta, we gotta take care of that. As a grown man, you imagine how that conversation, and how did Paul even know that? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, So Paul, so Timothy came from a Jewish mother, but then a godless pagan Greek father. And then actually, if you look at Timothy's grandmother, her name was Lois. They named their daughter, Timothy's mom, Eunice. Eunice is a Greek name meaning that Lois's husband must also have been Greek. And so you have a a non-Jewish grandfather, non-Jewish father, but then somehow that faith, that devotion to the God of the Bible, to the God of the children of Israel was kept alive by the grandmother and the mother and showed up in Timothy, where Timothy became one of the trusted disciples of the apostle Paul. It shows you the impact that the seeds of faith that a mother plants can have in spite of zero participation from the father. So I wanna just encourage every mama in here today that is believing God for a son or a daughter that's away from the house of God, that's wayward, that's away from the things of God right now, and just tell you that the DNA of faith that's in you is in them. And to not give up the faith and to pray that that DNA, that spiritual DNA that's in you and in them would sprout and come to life in Jesus' name. And point number three, we need your voice, we need your care, and we need your faith. Ladies, we need your faith. There's a uh, story in Matthew chapter 15 that we're gonna read, uh, verses 21 through 28. It's an amazing story. It says, then Jesus, gonna be on the screen behind me, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon and behold, a woman of Canaan. A woman of Canaan. That's important. You have to understand the the Canaanites were the occupants of the promised land before the children of Israel got there. And so the covenant that God made with Moses and then Joshua by proxy was, this is the land I have given you. Go in and drive out the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites were the inhabitants of the land. The Bible says that they did a lot of warfare but they didn't actually drive out all of the original inhabitants of the land. They actually coexisted and cohabitated with the Canaanites. So now thousands of years later, there is deep, deep hatred between the Jewish people and the Canaanites. The Canaanites are viewed as the the obstacle of the enemy of their promised land. Okay, So this woman, a Canaanite woman, comes up to Jesus, a Jew, and says, have mercy on me, verse 22, uh, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So this mom came on behalf of her daughter, a mother on behalf of her daughter. Then we see in this passage some things that, see, that seem you know, sort of uncharacteristically not Jesus-like, even though it's Jesus doing it. And it says that Jesus, in verse 23, it says, but he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out to us. But Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus says to this woman, you're not Jewish. I'm here for the Jews first. I'm sorry, I can't help you. But she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered again and said, it is not good to take the children's bread, to take the, what I have brought for the children of Israel and throw it to the little dogs. But then she says, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said, "O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Amazing picture of the faith and persistence of a mom believing for her child. Now I can tell you, this story would not have happened if it was a man. No way. No way. Man would have, you know, brought his daughter and, Lord, can you, you heal this, my daughter? Ignored. Okay. You know, just we can, get, we can get discouraged easily sometimes, us guys. And maybe, though, maybe we've we're just, we've got some extra gumption and we, we press through and, no, Lord, please, will you, will you help my daughter? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm, I can't give the bread that I brought to the little dogs. You'd be like, hold on, baby. What'd you say? (laughs) Right? But this woman says, I don't care what you call me. I don't care how often, how much you ignore me. When it comes to the healing of my daughter, there is no limit to my faith. There is no limit to my persistence. And Jesus says, oh, you woman of great faith. This very hour, your daughter is healed. You know, I don't. Every um, if you if you've come to our church for any length of time, you know that there is a. And if you haven't, then just stick around. You'll you'll hear it a lot. There's an, an a special anointing on this church for people to buy homes, people to to take physical territory in our city and and I'd say not always the case, but probably ninety five percent of the time, the story is exactly the same. It goes like this: wife believes God for home. Wife goes to husband. Husband says, no. Wife says, you'll figure it out. Couple buys home. Generally how it goes. Happened for Pastor Reed, Pastor Gladys. Happened for me and Pastor Katie. Happened for Pastor Natalie. Anyway, so it's kind of how it goes. And I think, you know, listen, hear me. Every family is different. I'm not, you know, and, and that's great. And I know that for us, you know, for Katie and I, I'm the, the main breadwinner in our home. And um, and so that the burden of provision rests m- mostly on me. And I know in a lot of families, it's a little different. And, and maybe you're in a, a marriage where, where both husband and wife work and that's amazing. And maybe even where the wife makes more than the husband and that's great. The mantle of provision simply means, it doesn't mean that ladies can't work and ladies should never earn more, heck, heck no. Like go crush it, be a boss babe like step into to all that God has for you. What it means is that if it all goes to garbage and you both lose it all, that the stress and burden of providing for the family should rest on the man. That's all it means, okay? Now, in, in our family, again, you know, like I'm more of the, the breadwinner. And so I think sometimes when that is the case, it can be hard for us men to see the forest from the trees. And we're in it, you know, and we're looking at the income and, and managing the finances and just it's all swirling around all the time. And, and I think a lot of the ladies of this house have a, a perspective that we don't where they can actually step back a little bit and look at the big picture and dream big and have faith big. I can't tell you how many times my wife has said, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. I've, you know, she'll believe for something crazy. I'll be like, yeah, babe, that's impossible. She's like, yeah, And? that's the point and she reminds me yeah duh and i'm thankful for a house that gives the ladies of this house the freedom to dream big and a lot of times i know for me maybe i'm maybe i'm you know i'm the pastor so maybe i'm just need my faith to grow a little bit but i feel like a lot of times i'm having to catch up to my wife's faith and i'm thankful that we have a, a, we create an environment at Awaken Church where the ladies of this house can dream big, and sometimes us men have to kind of catch up a little bit? And I love that, ladies. We need your faith in this house. We want to give you permissions and license to dream big, believe God for big things. No matter how many times we discourage you, pay it. Pay us no mind. Keep dreaming. Keep believing. You come to your husband and say, "I'm just. I just feel like God spoke to me and." Whatever it's going to be. And if your husband says, yeah, I don't think so, just just say, you'll figure it out. You're good. You'll be right. We need your faith. Why don't we all hop to our feet? I want to just take a second and pray for every woman here, every woman, not just every mom, every woman, because again, you carry the spirit of Eve. You are, you carry the spirit of the mother of all the living. So if you're a woman in here, I would just love it if you just lift your hands. I want to just pray a blessing over you today. God, we thank you for the women of Awakened Church. We thank you for the women of the East Lake campus. And God, we also recognize that today, you know, maybe two sides of the coin. We're, we're on one side, it is joyous and happy and, and amazing, but it may be hard for some people. Maybe this is the first Mother's Day without their mother. Maybe it's a reminder of, of a sour relationship between them and their mother, or between them and their daughter or son. Maybe it's a reminder of, of a promise to to mother children of their own that hasn't quite come to fruition. Whatever it may be, God, we just declare your peace, your favor, God, there is an anointing on this house for women to go from barrenness to fruitfulness. So right now we speak to every barren womb, we speak to every wicked assignment that would come against the women of this house to keep them from walking out the very first commission that God gave, which was to fill the earth, subdue it, to multiply. We break the back of that wicked assignment. Right now we declare wombs to be fruitful, that this house, this campus, the Eastlake campus of Awakened Church is going to be crawling with babies, crawling with little sons and daughters, God, little bundles of joy, kids' church overflowing in Jesus' name. God, we declare... Pregnancies, We declare full-term pregnancies. We declare healthy pregnancies. We speak against, against miscarriages right now in Jesus' mighty name. We speak to every woman that feels the fear of, of, of giving it another go because of, of trauma, because of a miscarriage. Right now, we speak life in Jesus' name. We speak encouragement in Jesus' name. We declare the faith of Sarah coming upon them right now that says, it may seem impossible. I may be older than I should be. The, the doctors may have said whatever. We declare the faith of Sarah, who was celebrated in the in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. In the hall of fame of faith, she was called a woman of great faith because she believed God that her promised child would come to pass. We declare fruitfulness right now in Jesus' name. We bless every woman here, God, that they would dream big. God, that they would step into the anointing and authority that you have given them, that they will shake the foundations of this region of South San Diego that you have given us. God, we honor them today. We bless them today. Every woman, every mother, God, may they feel honored today. I pray for that us as the men, that your your Holy Spirit would quicken in us today uh, all of the unseen things they do, that we would remind them, baby, I see it when you do this, when you do that. I know I don't always thank you for it every day, but I honor you today. I bless you today that our wives and and girlfriends and fiancés would feel esteemed today in this house. We bless them. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody say amen.